Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. I'd like to lead in by telling a little bit of a testimony that most of you probably don't know about Carol and me. Let me share it with you and how it began. I was at Florida Bible College. I was getting ready to graduate, and there were so many graduates that they did a practice graduation the day before. And as I went up here, and I was getting ready to kind of practice with all the getting of the uh, the, the, the diploma and all of that, the president of the school said to me, I want to see you in my office. That is not a good sign, you know, before you graduate the next day. The backstory of that is simple. We were headed to Hawaii to do ministry there. We sold everything, moved into my mother-in-law's house, and she's with us today. And I wanted you to know that we were ready to go. Plane tickets, place to go, ministry. And then I thought, what in the world? I guess I don't know what's going to happen. So I went into the principal to the president's office, and he said, Stan, I want you to reconsider, and I want you to stay here and teach at Florida Bible College. That was going to be a major change in our life. So what did I do? I went home, and I said, Carol... What should we do with something like this? And so we, of course, prayed about it. The end of all of that was we decided to put on hold Hawaii. And then we ended up staying at Florida Bible College for a number of years. And then we got a call hearing that Carol's sister had cancer and was probably going to die. So we relocated to the beautiful mountains of of North Carolina outside of Asheville and Silva. And we were there, but the ministry didn't stop. We continued doing ministry at Western Carolina University, had a big Bible study there on campus and traveled and spoke on weekends when we could until the family was stabilized after the home going of Susan. From there, we got a call to go to San Antonio and we went to San Antonio. We just piled everything in a U-Haul truck. We towed our little, uh, I guess you'd say VW van. We looked like we we're a bunch of hippies and we had two boys, two cats, my wife and me in the front seat of a non-air conditioned U-Haul truck. You can imagine what that was like. We pulled into town, didn't even know we were going to stay, found a house to stay in. Soon after that, we launched a radio ministry. We had a church. We had a Bible institute. We had a counseling center and a lot of good friends that supported us. From there, we got a call to go to beautiful upstate New York, a beautiful pastoral area there. We took over a church that was crashing and burning, and the Lord really showed grace there. From that, while we were there, we were asked to teach at Word of Life Bible Institute up there, so I taught there. Promise Keepers hired me, so while we were still pastoring, we were traveling, speaking, and then taking care of the faith family, and God richly blessed there as well. From there, we got a call to go to a place in Southern California, of all places, right across the street from beautiful Biola and Talbot. And uh, what a great ministry we had there for a few years and really developed a strong group of folks. From there, we got a call to go to back to the North Georgia mountains to help a ministry that really is designed to help churches increase membership involvement while at the same time decreasing conflict. And we train people to go out and help churches to do that. And that was a great success. And then we get a call to go to Hawaii. And we ended up there and had a wonderful ministry. And from there, while we were there, we springboarded all over Asia, speaking in places like Indonesia, Hong Kong, Singapore, mainland China, Myanmar, and places like that, just teaching and spreading the gospel in places while still pastoring there, doing radio, and keeping up with the ministry, making clear ministries. And then Florida Bible College said we'd like to have the school start again and bring it back here. This wonderful church opened up the door, and now we're here. Now, why am I telling you this? It'd probably be easier for me to answer why I am uncomfortable telling you this. 
I'm uncomfortable because this is too much about Stan and Carol. It's too much about our life. And I really know that you come to church to hear about the Lord. You come to church with your own issues in your life. And I love you. And I, I, I wish I could put my arms around you if you're dealing with some really pain and shame and chains that are going on. But I want you to know that what I just shared with you has a backstory as well. And here's the principle. Every one of those decisions wasn't made just like that. It was made using a biblical formula. And as I look back over every place we've moved, and think about that, and ladies, you'll feel this probably more than sometimes the men. That means you've got to pack up everything, decide what you're going to keep, what you're going to give away. You've got to pack up all the kids, finding out what schools to go to, what gynecologists you're going to get next to, and then where you're going to have to set up again. And we did that over and over and over again. Some people humorously say when they look at our resume, it looks like we were running from the law. All right. But in reality of it all, the Lord was moving. And why do I want to share that with you? Well, I would like you to enter into the joy of the experience of when you make the right choice, use the right biblical formula, when you're facing a major change in your life, that you could have the same results. Now, let me hasten to say this. That doesn't mean that everything was rainbows and unicorns at every one of these places. Do you all get that? So we are going to have some issues that we face through all of that, but I will tell you that even in the formula that we use from the Bible, those results still grew us and showed us his strength and then blessed us as he was, watch this now, preparing us for the next venture where we're going. So I don't know where you are. I look at a crowd like this. I don't know those of you that are watching us right now, but I can only imagine that maybe even now you're starting to realize you're going to have to make a major change in your life and you're wondering, boy, I want to make the right one. Let me think about this with you with together. How, how about it? Have you ever made a decision and after you did it, perhaps to buy something and you said, okay, I bought it. I got it. And a week later, what you bought, it went on sale and it was drastically reduced. How many of you bought something and when you did, you got it and you really didn't like it? You know what they call that? Buyer's remorse. Have any of you experienced anything like that? Would you raise your hand? Anybody? We've all done that. Well, I wish I could put my arms around you again and tell you that I have that too. That's when I didn't listen to the biblical formula. Now, let me make this clear. The, the verses we're going to go through, and there'll be a number of them, are easy for you to follow, easy to understand, and an outline for you. I know it's going to sound a little formulaic. But at the same time, I think there are enough biblical principles in here that whether you like a formula or not, you wouldn't disagree to say, yep, that would work for me. And so I want to tell you that this has worked for Stan and Carol, and I trust this will work for you that are in, a, in, the, in the throes of making a decision. The rest of you that are sitting back or watching us now and you're going ho-hum, everything is uh, kind of cotton candy, we're doing well, I don't have any major decisions, all you have to do is go to the next doctor's appointment and find out that you've got to make some major changes, and that could be difficult. You never know when God steps into your life and says you need to make a major change. And then he leaves, watch this now, leaves the decision up to you to make that change, but he also leaves you the biblical menu to use to make the change to come out on top where God would have you. So I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you are now in a place of needing to make a major change. I'm going to assume that you are now or later. And that's why this outline is for you so that you could refer to it at different times in your life. So if you'd like to get it out, this might help you. There are a lot of verses on there. I am going to highlight those verses. I'm going to ask you to mark them so that you can see some emphasis. And that's really what exposition is all about as well. So these would be steps to determine when you make a major change in your life. 
So let's go back just a little bit and uh, remind ourselves that we were in the mind of God before we were in our mother's womb, and that God had purpose for you because he had you born. And so here you are today being born. And when you have all of that, now you have some decisions to make about what you're going to do with your life. One of the decisions that I made early on as a Christian now was that I wanted to serve the Lord, not necessarily saying I want to be a minister, a speaker, whatever I am now. I just wanted to say, Lord, I wanted to give my life to you, not to get saved, not to stay saved, but because I am saved. And so with that, I then said, Lord, whatever you want, I want to serve you. Now catch this. I didn't just want to be a, a leaf in a fall windstorm. I wanted to have some purpose. So then I read a scripture passage, and I really saw what David had as his life purpose. Now, David was the greatest king, I think, that Israel ever had. He was one that was talked about having a heart really after God. And so I'd like you to look at the verse here. Here's what he says. It's a very neat verse from the Old Testament. It says that David served God's purpose in his generation. So I thought, okay, whether I'm a butcher, baker, or candlestick maker, it didn't matter. I wanted to serve God in my generation. I'll let God kind of work out some of that stuff as he's now developing me in my early ages. But then I saw this verse, and it says, there is an appointed time for everything, and there's a right time for every activity under heaven. So then I realized that God has a timetable for me in my life. God has a timetable for the way that he is journalizing our life for us as it is a journey that we're on. And so with that, I knew that there was a time for everything. Now, you know, we can um, we can have the right actions, we can make the right choices, but sometimes we overlook another component, and that is the right actions and the right choices need to be based also on the right timing. The timing really is everything when we make a decision. Look at the next verse in Ecclesiastes chapter 8, and it says here, a wise person does the right thing at the right time. This last week or so, when I started putting this message together, I um, started thinking about, all right, how would I recognize a wise guy, a wise gal? In other words, if I'm hanging around you and you're hanging around me, how would you know if I was a wise person? I think you would say, well, I understand a wise person when he makes wise choices. If I make wise choices, then I'm a wise person. But if I'm going to make a wise choice, part of that choice is I need to make the wise timing of that choice to be a wise person. So let me ask you, would people, if they looked at you, say, hey, there's a wise person. They're making a wise decision, and they're doing it at the wisest time. They know the right time to make that choice. I hope that would be with you. One of the fun things I do with our executive team and make it clear is I come into a meeting, often when I'm gone, and I come back, and I'll say, hey, I got an idea. Now, the first couple times I did that, our staff lit up. Now, when I come in, they roll their eyes and slap their forehead. You know, oh, no, another one, because these things come at me. Now, let me explain to you. These ideas that I have are like the decisions that you're going to make. I cannot tell you he did not hear the voice of God. I didn't see it written in the clouds. In fact, I like to call it Polaroid vision. Now, you young people, bear with me on this. You want to listen to this. The reason we call it Polaroid vision is because when we were younger, we wanted to have our picture, and we wanted to have it developed right then. 
So a company named Polaroid developed a camera. Do you remember that camera? It had little chemicals on the paper, and you'd wrap it up in there, and then you could take your picture, and then a moment later you'd hear, and out would come the picture, and you'd look at it, and there'd be nothing on it for a moment or two. And then it would start bleeding out, and you'd see the picture. How many of you remember that Polaroid camera? Maybe some of you still have one. It's probably worth something today. Now today, you just take a picture, you hit a button, you look at it, I don't like it, delete it. You get the next one, all right? But those you would do. Now, here's what I'm saying about that. In your life, God has a plan for your life. And of course, we're going to discover a little bit more about that in a moment. But sometimes that plan is not going to come with an immediate vision. You don't see the end from the beginning. So you have what is called a Polaroid vision. It starts in front of you, and then it starts opening up and opening up and opening up and opening up, and then you're going to see the wonderful, gracious hand of God on your life. And so I want to encourage you with that. So again, keep that in mind. Look, if you will, at Ecclesiastes 8.6. It says, there is a right time and a right way to do everything, but we know so little. And isn't that the truth? There always is the right thing, but we know so little. And you know what? That's where faith comes in. We know that God's large and in charge, and we let him take charge. We let him do it his way, but at the same time, we still follow him because he is in charge. Well, I want to leave you now with some steps that you might look through, you might meditate on. Some of you are smart. You might add a couple more steps. I don't think it's going to change this much, but I'd like you to look at these six and see if you could identify with them in knowing when to make the major change in your life whether it's to buy a high-ticket item, whether it's to change careers, whether it's to retire, what to do with your retirement funding, whether it's to do something with your kids, have kids or not have kids, change jobs, move out of the state, whatever it might be, those are major decisions that you and I might have to make. What are those decisions? Here's number one. Number one, we want to recruit godly family and friends to pray for you. You want to recruit godly friends, and family that are going to be praying for you along the way. If you have your Bible with you, I'd like you to turn to Romans chapter 15. If you don't have your Bible, I can you can just look at this one verse, but the reason I'm having you turn to Romans 15 is I want you to see a little bit more in the context of this very precious verse that's found in Romans at the end of it, written by Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that in my opinion indicates a little bit of making the right decision and what to do about it. So if you will, let's look at it together. Romans chapter 15 and verse 30, it says this, Paul is speaking, he is now writing to a group of Christians, a church in Rome, and he says this, now I urge you, I love that word urge, you might want to mark that, I urge you, in other words, he's passionate, he's desperate, brethren, implying mostly for those being believers in Christ, so we could call those friends, Christian friends, godly friends. And he says, and I like this so much, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the uh, love of the Spirit. And then he says that you would strive together, now catch this, with me in your prayers to Christ for me. Underline the phrase with me and underline the phrase for me. So this already has a subliminal message. He's saying, I want you to pray for me But when he says, with me, means this, I too am praying. So I want you to know that if you got a decision in your life, don't make that decision quickly, and definitely do not make it without prayer yourself, 
but then don't be the only one praying. Get family and friends to help you. If you go a little bit further in the passage, it says that I may be rescued from those who are, and I'll tell you, that's a tough thing to go on, those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Now, the only thing I'd like you to get out of that, we could parse all of that, but for just think about this for a moment. He says, I'd like to go to Spain. That's up in the chapter. Then he says, I want you also pray for me as I'm heading here. I got some opposition going on in my life. And so he says, while all this is happening, I want to make the best decisions about what's going to happen in the future. Now, folks, I think that Carol and I would have been pretty immature to make those decisions, whether to move to California or New York or Georgia or Texas or Hawaii or even here in Florida, and think, we'll have no problems. When we moved from the beautiful mountains of North Georgia to Hawaii, and how many would like to minister in Hawaii? Raise your hand. We arrived there. Carol arrived at the end of uh, May. October, we had a flood that wiped out all of our stuff because we were on a creek, and it overflowed in massive rains. All the poison water soaked up into all of our belongings. A few months after that, Carol was diagnosed with cancer. Now, it's very easy to look back and say, well, then we made the wrong choice. We should have stayed back in Georgia. I don't have a crystal ball, and it's a Polaroid vision, so I don't know. But I do know the results of us showing tenacity and perseverance and long-suffering and joy and contentment and all of that, where God then grew us and grew the respectability that the people would have for us to have the kind of ministry that we had. So I say all of that. You get your family and friends to pray for you, and then you can make that decision knowing that even if there's some hard times ahead of you, you're going to go into a faith-stretching experience. No matter where you go, you know that you went with the blessings and the prayers of others that are going with, the, with you for that. So here's some thoughts on action steps. Write down some major decision that you're going to make. You're thinking about it. You know what to do. Then write down the names of the people you want to ask. Now, don't ask the, you know, your study buddy, prayer partner guy that you really like. You want, you might, but you want to look for someone who is godly, someone who really has a walk with the Lord's. You don't want to stack the deck, so to speak. You want to make sure that these people have the freedom to speak into your life. And then, besides just having the list, you got to go and ask them. Say, okay, I did all of this, but now you got to say, would you pray for me? Now, when you do, you might set before them the decision that you have to make. Don't stack the deck in any order. Give them the pluses and the minuses, and then let them speak to you after prayer, and then ask for their prayer. Let's go to number two. So we recruited some godly family and friends to pray for us. The next what we want to do is we want to reach out to discerning family and friends for advice and guidance. So we begin, we begin by praying, but then we move quickly into, I need your advice. I need your counsel. I need your guidance. Look what it says here. Where there is no wise guidance, people fall. But in an abundance of counselors, there is safety. Would you take your pen and circle the word abundance of counselors? There is safety, not just with one person. Look at the next verse. It says, fools think they need no advice. I got this. Don't worry about it. I got this. I can do this. I made decisions before. We live in a world that everybody wants us to make quick decisions. It says they don't ask for advice. They don't even think they need advice. But the wise person listens to the advice of others listens to the advice of others. Can I speak to that for just a moment? There's a difference between hearing 
advice and listening to advice. Hearing advice is you've done your due diligence. You've let someone speak into your life, so you let them talk to you. So you heard them. But that doesn't mean you listen to them. When you really listen to them, you're listening to how they're saying what they're saying. You're looking at their body language. You're making sure that they have freedom to speak into your life. You've already done the praying part. Now you're going to start doing the dialoguing part. And so you're really hearkening unto their voice. Now, if you will, give me a moment, and maybe in your margin, I'd like to answer this question. Who would be more practically the people in my life that I should go to. We got the family part, but let me just give you a couple of them, and we're going to title this My Board of Advisors. Not chain of command. You don't have to obey them, but you do need to listen to them. So who would be my board of advisors when I'm about ready to make a decision, a major decision, and the timing of that decision? Well, I don't know that I would put this in any particular priority list other than to say they're all on the list you ought to get to them individually, corporately, doesn't really matter. These are good people to have in your life. So let's begin with a big principle. Those that have the rule over us, those that have influence in our life by their title or position, God puts them there sovereignly for us. So number one, it could be your family, particularly your parents or your grandparents or an older brother, older sister, someone in that realm that has walked the walk before you in life as you're going through making this major decision. Number two, you want to check those who your spiritual leaders are at your church. If you have those that have elders here, it would be them. Whether you do it corporately or one-on-one, the point of the matter is that you go to those and hear what they have to say to you. Number three, You would want to look for those in the government. Now, let me make that clear this way. The government's role is mostly to protect you, and so there's a lot of laws there. And so why you're going to the government is more looking for those that would give you quality legal advice. I think most of you that are hearing this that are older now, you know the decisions that you've made are decisions you made that also involve legality to it. Purchasing a house, looking at the contract, how important that is. Let me give you one advice I received from my dad and a legal issue. Carol and I had not owned the house, and we were in San Antonio, and we were in a church very much like this. A couple, like you all, were in the church and had a daughter. That daughter was in the mother's car when it was driving down Bandera Highway when a big dump, a big uh, uh, tow truck was now pulling a huge dump truck off the side of the road with a cable. The dump truck pulled out on the road, The car went underneath the cable, chopped off the top of the car, and turned the child into, I say this with love, like a vegetable, all right? And that child lived for so long and finally died, and the parents now wanted to get rid of the house because they kept her in that house until she died. We ended up wanting to buy that house. So as we went and negotiated, I wanted to just go ahead and buy it, and she said, let's go ahead and do that. I went to my dad, and I said, Dad, I'm I'm making a major decision. I'm buying my very first home. What do you think about it? He says, I think it's a great idea. It's a good investment, blah, blah, blah. He looked at the house, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, but you ought to get title insurance. I said, but dad, this woman said it's okay. Number two, this woman is a dedicated Christian. This woman has gone through an awful lot. I don't think that's a real problem. And he says, and I love this about my dad. He said, do whatever you want. I give you my advice. I love you, whatever you do, etc." So I went ahead and I took my dad's advice. And so I went to the lady as sheepishly, as humbly as I could. Listen, my dad, I threw my dad under the bus. My dad wants me to do this. And so she said, all right. Two weeks later, she made an appointment with me to tell me that the house had a lien on it from, with the federal government. 
little did we know that her brother wanted to do something she co-signed on and that included the house, and the brother went south legally, and now the government wanted to take the house. So we couldn't buy the house, nor could we move into the house. A year later, she satisfied it all, and we got it. Why am I telling you that? A major decision, following a biblical advice here, going what Scripture has to say, pick your chain of command, or rather your board of advisors, and really lean into them and see what they have to say. It's not magical, it's not mystical, it's just four letters. W-I-S-E. Try doing that, and you'll see where that will really take you. Let's look at again here how important this is. Notice what you might do as an action step. Do you know someone that has gone through a similar decision that you're about to make? Was it a thoughtful process that they went through? If so, you might want to make some time to sit down with them and to see if they could really, really help you. In a little bit here, we talked a lot about going to others and having them pray for you, going to others for advice and getting counsel and guidance. And I'd like to say often what you're going to get back, watch this now, is what I call a cacophony of sound. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear, P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us make it clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Thank you.